He was on a mission to do something much greater. He was on a mission to do something for the highest of all authorities. He was riding into Jerusalem because he was going to willingly, knowingly go to the cross, that he would suffer, that he would die. We will celebrate that. Celebrate's a tough word, but it's, it, in some ways it is. We will celebrate that gift to us this Friday night at our Good Friday service. One of my favorite things we do all year. We'll be remembering that. But this Jesus goes into this city knowing that there was a bigger issue, and that issue was the sin that stood between you and me and God's grace and mercy. There was a penalty to be paid. Disobedience could not simply go unpunished. How could God be righteous and loving? How could he be holy and merciful? And the only answer was that God himself in the person of his son would stretch out his arms upon a cross and he would bring mercy and justice together in that moment. He, in his own body, would satisfy the just demands and the wrath of a holy God. He would do that. He would, in that moment, cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his humanity, the wrath of God would be his experience. But in that moment, mercy was kissing justice. In that moment, heaven's riverbanks were overflowing with mercy and love and forgiveness that could now flow to all of those who would put their trust and their hope in Jesus. And the proof of that reality is that God raised Jesus from the dead. It's the message. It's the message. Saturday morning, I was sitting in my office in front of my laptop, and Skype was open. And sitting in front of me were, uh, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't count because I couldn't see the back of the room, but sitting in front of me, many, many, many Pakistanians. They were there sitting on the floor. There were men casually dressed, there were women and wraps and all kinds of dress and children. And they were sitting in front of this big screen looking at me. And the message was the same. The message was the same. God has paid the penalty in his own son for your sin. God who created you and who loves you, but who you have rejected, and because of your rejection, there is punishment required. There is a price to be paid. He has paid that price in the person of Jesus Christ. He has made a way for you to know him. And the proof of what his death accomplished is that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And nothing will do your heart better than sitting in front of a screen like that with a bunch of folks in Pakistan <laughs> live on your laptop 
and hear the interpreter say that, and he is alive from the dead. And then watch all of these folks begin to clap their hands and wave their hands. Alleluia. Alleluia. Jesus is raised from the dead. It's the message. That is what he was going to do. That is what he was going to do. He could have set up a kingdom. He could have overthrown. He could have called 10,000 angels. They could have routed the Romans, and they could have set up an earthly kingdom, but it never would have taken care of your problem and mine. It never would have met the deepest needs of our lives, and it would have left us all lost and all hell-bound. But Jesus did that for us. He paid the price. He overthrew Satan's authority. He overthrew his authority. Remember, Satan had taken him up to a high place, showed him the kingdoms of the world, and said, these are, these, they all belong to me because they've been given to me. Who gave them to him? Adam gave them to him. Adam gave away his authority in the garden. And so when our enemy, the one the Bible describes as the prince of the powers of the air, it's in our fighter verses past couple of weeks, this enemy showed Jesus all of that. And Jesus refused to bow down and worship him because Jesus knew that he was on the way to a cross and he was on his way to take care of the one that was tempting him. That's why Jesus afterwards could say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He was overthrowing Satan. He was taking care of of the penalty for our sins. And he was conquering death. He was conquering death. I don't know of those of you that uh, know the significance, but I'll just pull them up here. <laughs> you see my green socks? Next week will be one year since my dear friend Bob Sturm left us. One year. And I know that he is not dead, but that he is alive because Christ conquered death. And the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that death could not hold him. I know that he is alive. I know that Bob can say today, and with that great cloud of witnesses that he is a part of, and some of you are thinking of people right now who are part of that great cloud of witnesses who can say with us, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it. My faith has become sight, and I know that my Redeemer lives. That's what Jesus was doing when he came into Jerusalem, but they were looking for an earthly king. And Jesus disappointed their expectations. Obviously, he's not the one. Obviously, he's not the Savior. Away with him. Crucify him. He's just creating trouble. Has Jesus disappointed your expectations? What did you come to Jesus looking for? Sometimes we come looking for immediate relief to certain situations. Sometimes we come because our lives are a mess. We want them to be put back together. We, 
are addicted, we want to be free, we're broken, we want to be healed, and, and that's fine. I mean, God welcomes us. Those are the, those are the things that, uh, th those are the megaphones of God that, that shout into our existence that we need a Savior, we need a Redeemer. But of course, once, the, once we come into that relationship with Jesus, we are confronted with the fact that he is not simply the one who heals. He's not simply the one who uh, makes things right. He's not simply the one who gives us hope. He is the one who owns our lives and owns every part of our lives. And as that reality begins to take place in us, it becomes a very challenging moment at times. Sometimes our expectations are not met. We just expect Jesus to keep on doing good things for us. But Jesus expects us to become like him. And just giving us everything we want is not the way that that happens. Has he disappointed your expectations? Have you learned to love this Jesus? Like a wife learns to love her husband after they get married, <laughs> like a husband learns to love his wife after they get married, as we learn to love our children after they become teenagers, <laughs> we learn, don't we? We learn that love is something deeper than emotion. It's something deeper. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It goes very deep. It goes very deep. By the way, if you're a teenager, you're learning again to love your parents now that you're a teenager. <laughs> we have to. Because we never meet each other's expectations fully, do we? We don't. And so we learn to love. And we're learning to love our Jesus. We learn to love him. The more we know him and understand him, we learn to love God our Father as we begin to understand his ways. Do you know this Jesus? Have you worked through your expectations? Have you worked through your surface ideas? Have you stopped trying to manage him and actually surrendered to him as Savior and as Lord? Well, I've preached the gospel now and I have no time for the message, but... Um, that the gospel is more important and that feeds us more than anything. But I'm going to take just a few minutes and I'm going to just take just a couple of points right here and, uh, and ask you this. Number one, has God asked you the question? You say, what question is that, Jeff? Who do you say that I am? As he's standing there with the disciples, he, he was in Caesarea Philippi by himself and uh, the disciples. And, and Jesus uh, asked a question. He says, so what are people saying about me? What are people saying about me? And the, and the disciples, I, th I think they do, a, they do a quick inventory. Okay, let's see. Some have said that he's a devil. Some have said that he's a blasphemer. Some have said that he's a, a con man, a um, false messiah. I mean, all these things were being said. And they, uh, they said, okay, let's, let's, let's just tell them the good stuff. Well, some say you're like John the Baptist. <laughs> Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some, some, he, he just, they just lay out the good things people have been saying. Jesus really doesn't care. 
He has a more important question, and that question is, who do you say that I am? And the, and the word you in there, for those of you that are word geeks in the scriptures, that word is plural, so he's asking everybody there. And when Peter speaks, he's answering on behalf of everybody. It's a, it's a plural thing. Who do you, and the you there is a pretty emphatic you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, if you remember, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Peter says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Has he asked you the question? So what do you mean, has he asked me that question? Listen, you cannot come to Christ unless he asks you that question. Unless God says to you, in, in one way or another, who do you say that I am? God awakens us. He awakens a sinner. He awakens a rebel with a question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who do you say that he is? Apologetic tip. Ask others about Jesus, I, I don't mean, hey, 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 have you met Jesus? You can just ask this question. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Collect the things that people are saying about Jesus. You might find it interesting. But it's a, way, it's a great conversation. If things turn to spiritual matters or get close to them, you could ask that question. What do you ask others about Jesus? The disciples were being kind. Peter acts as their spokesman. We've just said that. Look at Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I talked to her brother a few days ago and I said, listen, you know I believe in the grace of God. You know I believe that his mercy is sure. You know that I believe that he keeps that which belongs to him. But my friend, you need to examine your life. You need to, you need to examine it because I perceive that you are being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And brother, I can't tell you if you're saved. Only you and more importantly, God know that. And the evidence that I'm seeing is that there's not that happening. And I'm warning you, be careful, be careful. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. A day comes, teenager, listen to me. A day comes when God speaks into your heart and he's going to draw you and he's going to ask, who do you say that I am? Who do you want to be in relationship to me? He's going to ask you that question. Do not harden your heart. Do not get turned away to the left or right. There's all kinds of pretty things to distract you. Do not be distracted from what will result 
in your eternal salvation, your true purpose in life, to be in relationship with God. Some of you adults, you've been coming to church for a long, long time, but in your heart of hearts, you don't know that you've ever really answered that question. You've just kind of gone along with the religious stuff and have never answered that question. Who do you say that he is? How has he captured your heart? Hear his voice. He said, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, there will be evidence at the end that you're who you are when you begin. There will be evidence at the end of who you are when you begin. There may be a lot of roller coaster between those two points. I've had some dips and spins and 360s myself. I get it. But the evidence will steadily move you the right direction, and you will be at the end who you are when you begin a disciple of Jesus. Have you answered the question, your own heart? You are the Christ. You are my Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You are my Savior. Number two, have you received a revelation? We never begin by seeking Jesus. Jesus is always seeking you first. He's always seeking you first. This kind of bleeds into question number one, but it's true that the Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is. And no one begins by understanding everything, by the way. I got news for you. When Peter said, <laughs> you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, oh, Peter, blessed are you. God has revealed this to you. And on this confession, I'm going to build my church, and I'm changing your name from tiny pebble to big stone. And I am going to, I am just so, so happy that God's revealed this to you. And a few moments later, <laughs> What happens? Now listen, guys. I have to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. That's when they stopped listening. They didn't hear anything else about rising. It's all they heard was, they're going to kill me. And Peter says, oh, no, no, no. That's not going to happen. And the same Jesus... The same Jesus that moments earlier has said, oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. God has revealed this to you. That same Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Wow. He knew that the enemy was using Peter at that moment to try and cast doubt and fear into that situation. And Jesus says, get behind me. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Here's a tip for you. Always be honest with others about what you don't know. Always be honest with others about what you don't know. Peter didn't know everything when he received that revelation. No, no Christian. Listen, if you're a Christian with questions, particularly if you're a young person, if you're a teenager especially, if you're a teenager with questions, 
things that don't make sense, things that don't compute. I understand. I'm 63 years old this year. I got things that don't compute still that I wrestle with and I wonder about. It's okay. It's, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have an answer for everything. And guess what? I can save you some trouble if you'll just believe me when I tell you you'll never have an answer for everything. Never. You won't. That's why you get to go to heaven to get all those questions answered that you didn't. <laughs> Never could get answered on earth. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't know everything. We don't know everything. But God does, and he asks us to trust him. He asks us to go with him to Jerusalem and to watch something happen that we don't think should happen. The one that we love, the one that we followed, the one that we left everything to follow, to watch him scourged and mocked and beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross, slammed into the ground with a spear thrust through his side, crying and gasping out his last breath. Have you ever seen the last breath of a dream that you have or a hope that you have go out? I don't mean just physical loved ones. I mean, have you ever had the last dying breath of something you thought, this is how it'll go. This is how it'll be. This is what will happen. I'm keeping the rules. I'm doing the right things. And this is how it's going to be. And all of a sudden, it sits there before you, sagging, the blood and water pouring out. And the last breath of that hope evaporating. Have you ever had that in your life? That's what they're experiencing. This shouldn't happen. This shouldn't happen this way. We shouldn't be watching this. We shouldn't be seeing this. Most of them were hiding and looking from afar. John was standing there at the foot of the cross looking up at his hope dashed in front of his eyes. Has Jesus not lived up to your expectations? Have things happened that you thought shouldn't happen this way? Make sure you're honest about that with people. The last thing that, that a non-believer needs from any of us is some pretense that life is a bowl of cherries because we follow Jesus. It's not. There's suffering involved in following Jesus. There's trials involved in following Jesus. There's temptations to fight in following Jesus. There are sacrifices to be made in following Jesus. Are there good moments? Oh, yeah, you know they are. But it's icing on the cake, brothers and sisters. I don't want my cake now. I'm looking for that, I'm looking for that feast to come. I'll just, I'll be happy if I can dip my finger in some icing now and then. Amen? If I can just keep dipping my finger in some icing, a little joy, a little happiness, a little fun, a little delight, the wonders of life, a good book, a good glass of 
water, a good, uh, a good, uh, a good piece of music, a, a, a beautiful ballet, uh, loving my wife, her kiss, wonderful icing, mm, wonderful things, preaching, preaching in my office to Pakistan, oh, 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 icing, so good. But that's not life 24 hours a day. And there's a reason why the Bible says for us to hold on to our hope now and not to trust in what this world offers us now and tells us that there is an inheritance that is laid up for us to come and to keep our eyes fixed on that, not on things of this world. He says in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things upon the earth. What's above? The promise, the eternal life, the eternal destiny of our souls that, that theologians, that bad preachers have sold us out to believe is somewhere ethereal and off there somewhere. Oh, Lord God, no. It is here. It is here when the earth is renewed and purged. It is here when the heavenly city touches down and connects to a new earth. It's here in all of its place, restored to its beauty and its pristine loveliness. And as God from this place begins to expand his government all the way out to that black hole out there somewhere. I got a little preach going on today. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. You're, let me tell you something. You're icing. You are. You're icing. I come here on Sunday morning, get to lead worship, get to see your smiling faces. Oh, mwah. it's good. You know what happens a lot of Monday mornings? I just, I need to quit. <laughs> this church needs better, you know. I, you know, I'm just, don't, don't, don't respond to that. Don't send me an email. Don't, no. It's okay. Okay, I'm good. But any pastor who's honest with you will tell you, that routinely they consider retiring on Mondays <laughs> for, different, for all kinds of different reasons. Not every, not every Monday. No, you understand what I'm saying. In other words, I have to live. I got to live my life. I have to live my life with all the other stuff besides just this lovely time with you. You following me? Icing's good. But if you want to insist on your cake now, what a paltry meal you'll be settling for. You want to settle for pornography? You want to settle for amassing riches? Do you want to settle for, uh, for affairs and, and, and cheating? Do you want to settle for just trying to, trying to gain everything that this world could possibly offer you? Do you want to settle for addictions? Do you want to settle for temporary highs? Do you want to settle for whatever peak you might reach in your career, at the end of which you're dead? You still have to stand before God. Is that what you want to, you want to settle? Is that the cake you want? Oh, no. No. There's a beautiful, beautiful meal being prepared for us. Um, number three, will you make your confession? This is in your bulletin, and we're going to stop after this, but 
Man, I just, I just love this. J.C. Ryle, such a wonderful, he's an old dead guy, and old dead guys are really fabulous in theology. So he's writing about this confession and writing about Peter. Look, look what he says. Men forget that it is a widely different thing to believe in Christ's divine mission when we dwell in the midst of professing Christians and to believe in it when we dwell in the midst of hardened and unbelieving Jews. Now, he's writing about this, uh, this circumstance, all right? Not currently. Don't, don't, don't take that the wrong way. The glory of Peter's confession lies in this. Now, just, what, 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 it's easy for us in here to stand up and sing, is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is, he is, he is, right? And when we go out there and somebody out there that they're, they're hostile, we feel invigorated, we're emboldened, we know we've got some friends, we've got some fellowship, right? And someone says, to, says something to us about, you know, oh, Jesus Christ, whatever, and, and we can, and I don't know if I, about you, but I tend to say, oh yeah, I, I'm a friend of his, you know, something along those lines. We're, but we're a little emboldened, right? But now here, look what Ross says. The glory of Peter's confession lies in this, that he made it when few were with Christ and many against him. He made it when the rulers of his own nation, the scribes and priests and Pharisees, were all opposed to his master. He made it when our Lord was in the form of a servant without wealth, without royal dignity, without any visible marks of a king. To make such a confession at such a time required great faith and a great decision of character. Don't write old Peter off. Man, did God do an amazing work in him. And it said something about him that in the midst of a situation where what was standing in front of him looked anything but a king. To put his expectations aside for a moment and to say, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Have you answered that question? Have you had revelation? Are you willing to make your confession? In a way, when we come to this table, we are confessing. If you come to this table, if you come down here, don't do it absentmindedly. Don't do it purposelessly. When you come to this table, you are coming and you are saying something about your life that I trust the one who this bread represents. I trust the one who this cup represents. He has captured my heart. I've laid aside earthly expectations, and I have said yes to this Jesus, this Son of God, this Messiah. I have said yes to Him. That is our confession. We have had revelation. It is an opportunity for revelation every time we come together. When you come to this bread, listen, you can come to this bread, and you can drink of this cup, and you can do it in such a way that it's just, uh, mm, yeah, eh, mm, yeah oh, go. 
You just missed the icing. You just missed the icing. This is, this is a foretaste of cake. Of a, the best tasting cake you'll ever eat in your whole life. And you've just missed the icing on that cake by not paying attention. Pay attention. You are saying something by coming to this table. You are saying, I have believed. I have come to know and I believe in this Jesus. I see it. I look past this bread. I look past this cup. And by faith, I see him stretching his hands out to me. I see him offering me himself. When I taste this bread, I taste by faith the love of God and the grace of Jesus. When I taste the juice upon my tongue, I am remembering and tasting that the blood of Christ was shed for me and given for me. I am saying something by coming to this table. Will you make your confession today? And would you be willing to take that confession out these doors? Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, once Peter had said that, he, it says he charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why did he do that? Because he was managing time. He was managing the process. He was simply saying, we can't let this percolate too fast. There is a time for this. And he knew that if there were those who were associated with him, that were running around proclaiming that in circles, certain circles, it would draw too much unwanted attention at that moment and at that time. There was a reason why he said, now don't go broadcasting that. Wait. But after he's resurrected, what does he say? Now. Now you will be my witnesses. Now you will go and tell everybody that I am the Christ. Will you make your confession today? Will you take your confession outside these doors? And say, Lord, give me, I pray, give me the opportunity to enjoy the icing of sharing you with others.